0: Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of His Word. Let's begin. We're in the Journey to the Cross. The series is entitled The Daily Events Surrounding Holy Week. This is part three, and today is Tuesday of Holy Week as we look at who's in charge here. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 20. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 20. We'll read select verses from Luke 20. My sources include Rich Hansen's The Week on Which the World Turns, a book by Harry Reader from Embers to a Flame, a message by Jeff Streit, uh, The Moment of Truth, and then uh, the commentary on Luke by William Hendrickson in the New Testament commentary. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word from Luke chapter 20. This is the word of God. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priest and teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. You, you notice that Jesus did this a lot? Jesus, a lot of times, would answer a question With a question. He was such a genius at conflict handling. And so, who gave you this authority? I will ask you also a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? And then I love this. They discussed it among themselves. They they huddled up. They huddled up and discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now skip with me down to verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity. And said to them, show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us, teaching us through your word. I pray that you would give us inspiration and understanding, Lord. Uh, Your word is inspired, but Lord, inspire our hearts that we might hear the things you have to say to us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. I believe in the separation of church and state. Do you? I believe in the separation of church and state. I think it's a good thing. I love the fact that uh, we are encouraged and our president has encouraged religious liberty in this country. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I love that our president has called for a national day of prayer. I think that's also a wonderful thing. Pluralism. This is a pluralistic society that we live in. Pluralism's basic premise is that all religions are true, or at least partially true, and have value, all religions. And in our culture, it is considered narrow-minded and judgmental to believe anything else. Do you have a problem with that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then you should. I mean, I I love living in this pluralistic society because it sure beats living in a society that, for example, has Sharia law as the only law. We live in a constitutional republic, not a theocracy, and for good reason. Under such circumstances, state-sanctioned churches, for example, would become puppets of the government. And that happens in many lands of the world. So that the dictates of fallible men take precedence over inspired Holy Scripture. In his book, The Problem of God, author Mark Clark writes this, If you want to understand the dogma of religious pluralism, consider a scene from the 2006 comedy movie Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. If you haven't seen it, Ricky, he says, is a professional race car driver whose car actually crashes during a race. Thinking he's on fire, this is also uh, Will Ferrell, At his best, or you might say at his worst, thinking he's on fire, he runs around the track crying out, Help me, Jesus! Help me, Jewish God! Help me, Allah! Help me, Tom Cruise! Use your witchcraft on me to get the fire off of me! Help me, Oprah Winfrey! In other words, he writes, when it comes to God, little G, you'd best hedge your bets. One God, little G doesn't necessarily exclude the other gods, little g. So don't limit yourself to just one when you can believe in all of them at once. This concept has its roots in Hindu and Eastern philosophy and has largely been adopted in Western culture. It can be found in several popular versions. And he gives some examples. Rabbi Shmuley Boteik, you might have seen him on the news He's a spokesman a lot of times for Judaism. He says, I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. Mahatma Gandhi said, my position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. Oprah Winfrey said one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, she says, there are many diverse paths leading to God. So how do you respond to the theology of Ricky Bobby? Personally, I'll take the theology of our Lord Jesus Christ every day. Jesus was a master communicator. He was a master communicator. He always seemed to be ready for whatever came his way. If someone had a question, he was ready for it. He tried to answer sometimes. Sometimes he would deflect it and throw the question back at them. And so as we look at our text here in Luke 20, I think there are at least three lessons that we need to embrace today. And the first is this. It is important that we recognize the authority of Jesus, and that's the first subject that comes up. The authority of Jesus. Jesus is approached by the chief priests, by the teachers of the law, by the elders. They ask him in verse, uh, verse two, "Tell us by what authority he says." They say, "Tell us by what authority you are doing these things." And then they ask, "Who gave you this authority?" I mean, there's nothing wrong with the question. It's actually a very good question. It's the right question, who gave you this authority. It's just for all the wrong reasons. And as you will see, Jesus did such a good job fielding the the different questions thrown His way that Luke tells us about in chapter 20, verse 40, where it says, no one dared ask Him any more questions. No one. So for those of you adults who don't have to deal with the classroom any longer, do you remember how intimidating it was in school when you had a question, but you were afraid to ask the question? You were afraid to ask the question because you didn't want to be embarrassed by the teacher if the teacher made you look bad for some reason because your question was a dumb question, or you didn't want your peers to laugh at you because you asked a question that they all knew the answer to. So a lot of times, what, what would we do? We would not ask any questions. Questions asked in public, though, like this situation with Jesus, P- questions that are asked in public are oftentimes laced with hostility. And by that, I mean that the person asking the question is really not after the answer to the question. They're really not after the truth. But they simply want to try to discredit the one that is being asked the question. And that's the case in our text as these religious leaders ask Jesus this question. So instead of answering them directly, as I said, Jesus chose to answer them indirectly. Look at verse 3. I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? And then they discussed it among themselves, huddled up and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him, John? But if we say from men, all people will want to stone us. So obviously these men were more interested in politics than in the truth. And all they cared about was not getting embarrassed by giving the wrong answer to Jesus' question. So listen again to what Jesus said to them in verse 7. Or what they said to Jesus. They answered, we don't know where it was from. And so Jesus said in verse 8, Then neither will I tell you what authority I am doing these things. Oh my, do you know how difficult that had to be for them to say that? I mean, to, to say... We don't know where it was from. Do, do you know how hard that was to come out of their mouths? I mean, these were the experts. You know, I, there are so many times where I'm asked questions, and it is a little bit nerve wracking when you might not know the answer. In fact, before I was considering a call of God, that was one of the thoughts I had. What if I can't answer all the questions? What if I don't know all the answers? I still don't know all the answers. There's so many things like this virus that's going on in our world. I don't have the answers. I'm thankful that we serve a God who does have the answers. We need to recognize the authority of God in our life every day, but especially during a time like this. And here's the second lesson. It is important that we examine the authority of Jesus. So listen to verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor they 're already they 've made up their mind what they want to do with Jesus they want to get rid of Jesus they want to do away with him because he 's a problem, and so they 're looking for some sort of evidence. They were spies quote unquote they weren 't really serious about examining the the answers of Jesus, that they could care less. They were simply set on entrapping Jesus. So if you have an agenda, as they did, then you're not really listening to his words. Now, you can decide that you believe that this book right here is outdated. Uh, You can decide that it's primarily filled with bedtime material and myths, and many people have made that decision. That's really a decision you can make. But have you examined it? You see, most people who decide that have either never read this book or never bothered to study this book. So I challenge you to examine the claims of Scripture because the Bible says of itself, all Scripture is inspired by God, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that The man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God. That's why I say what I say at the beginning. It is God's Word, wherever it speaks, not when it just speaks to you. So look with me in Acts chapter 17, Acts 17, verse 11. This is when the apostles come to a community known as Berea. And it says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now look at verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, where they had been before in the previous chapter. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. A long time ago, I did just that, examining the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures. I still do that, constantly looking at the Scriptures. And I'm convinced that God's Word is my authority. And I commend it to you as your authority. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Word of God is living and active. It's the most important book I possess, and my wife will tell you I have way too many books. My library is filled with books. My home is filled with books. But this is the most important book that I have. The famous missionary Dr. David Livingston is famous for making a trek across Africa. When he began, he had in his possession 73 books. Seventy-three books in three packs, which weighed 180 pounds. After the party had gone for 300 miles, Livingston was compelled to give away some of the books because of the fatigue of those who were carrying his baggage. As they continued on their journey, the, the library continued to get smaller and smaller until finally he had only one book left, his Bible. That, he said, is a non-negotiable. This book not only tells me how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but it also points me to the truth of how to live. And even though it's important to study and to learn and to get as much education as possible, you need to remember that empirical knowledge and scientific fact will never change your life. I mean, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is a fact, but it won't change your life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life in John 14, verse 6. Now, that verse actually means, I am the way because I am the truth and because I am the life. It's the best way to read and interpret that verse. I am the way to God because I am the truth, Jesus said. Two psychiatrists were at a convention as they visited. One asked, what was your most difficult case? The other one replied, well, I had a patient who lived in a pure fantasy world. He believed that an uncle in South America was going to die and leave him a fortune. All day long he waited for this letter to arrive from an attorney. He never went out. He never did anything. He merely sat around and waited for this fantasy letter from his fantasy uncle. I worked with this man, he said, for eight years. The other psychiatrist asked, so what was the result? He said, well, it was an eight-year struggle. I mean, every day for eight years, but I finally cured him, and then that stupid letter arrived. (laughs) Now, think about that. That letter was truth. It was the truth a man had waited for, for over eight years, and until that letter arrived, at least as far as the psychiatrist was concerned, truth did not exist. Truth was a fantasy. And even when the truth showed up in the mailbox, he was still pretty uncomfortable with it. Which goes to show you that people accept only what they want to hear. People accept only what they want to hear, what they really want to hear. What they really want, the only authority they're comfortable with, is their own authority. And so how many of you will agree with the truth only when the truth agrees with you? How many of you stubbornly refuse to even take a good look at the truth of God's holy word? And so I say that the first lesson is we need to recognize the authority of Jesus. Secondly, we need to examine the authority of Jesus. And then the third and final lesson is it's important that we desire, that we welcome the authority of Jesus. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Is that what you're doing? Is that your common practice to seek the Lord with all of your heart? These religious leaders in our text, they they weren't seeking God with all of their heart. And that's what's heartbreaking about this. Their heart was closed. Their heart was dark. You see, they were threatened by Jesus because he was going to destroy all of their plans. At any rate, they asked Jesus in verse 22, if you look back in the text, is it right for us to pay taxes to, to Caesar or not? That's in verse 22. And it says, he saw through their duplicity. You see, Jesus is sort of in a pickle here. If you're in a debate, this is kind of a tough question. It's a yes or no question, and it was a little like, have you stopped beating your wife? Not much good's going to come out of either a yes or a no. So if Jesus said yes, all of those who expected Jesus to deliver them from the Romans, from their oppressors, would desert him prematurely. And if Jesus said no, then the Romans would have every right to arrest him for what? For treason. So Jesus wisely asked for a coin, a denarius, and upon receiving it asked, whose portrait and inscription are on it? That's in verse 24. And they answered Caesar's. And he said to them, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And then... Verse 26 is just priceless. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. So I ask you this morning, where do you look for your authority? Who do you look to as your primary authority? Jesus reminds us, authority is either human or divine. A lot of people look inside themselves because they... Refuse to listen to God. What many people want, including most likely a good number of you here this morning, is to be autonomous. To be autonomous is to be on your own. To do exactly what you want to do according to your truth. Have it your own way. But if you try that long enough, you will reach a point where you recognize that being your own authority, it really doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You'll come to the end of yourself. You will hit a wall at some point. You'll hit a crisis that is beyond you. And maybe it's this coronavirus crisis. Who knows? But whatever it is, you will come to the point of recognizing, I can't do this by myself. I need God. I need Jesus to help me with my life. And so the authority that sometimes threatens us, that you might even think that you want to run away from, is really the very thing, the very thing you need, the very thing the crowds loved about Jesus. That brings us to our verse of the week, which is Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And let's read it out loud from your bulletin. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Not finished yet. The story is told of three sons who read the will of their father after he died. The father left them three instructions. Number one, they were to sell 40 acres of their land in another county to cover the cost of his burial. Number two, they were to take some of that money to dig another well on the farm to water their cattle. Number three, they were to buy the stone memorial for their father from a stonemason in a neighboring town that was a personal friend of their father. Well, the boys went to look over the 40 acres of land in the next county and they all agreed their dad was very wise in this. It was property that hadn't produced a good crop in a couple of years. It would help defray the cost of the funeral, so they put it up for sale. Then they took a look at the well that had been dug years before and realized it was not meeting the needs of their farm. A deeper well needed to be dug, so they all agreed that Dad had been very wise. And so when they sold the 40 acres, they hired a man to come in and dig for them another well for the farm. And then they went to visit the stonemason, and they priced stones for their father's grave and realized that this man was charging almost twice for his headstones as what they could get in a larger city about an hour away. So they didn't buy from their father's friend, but instead went to the far city and bought the stones for the father's grave there. So the father had left his sons with three requests, right? My question is, did they obey the father's request? The answer is no. Because the fact is they only obeyed the father's request when they agreed with him. When they agreed with him. Because once their father died, they became the masters of the estate and not their father. You really can't have it both ways. And a lot of us try to do it both ways. You can't serve God and serve yourself at the same time. At some point you must choose whom you will serve. You must choose who will be Your authority. It was Jesus who once said this. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you are the truth. You are the way because you are the truth. And you are the life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life that I have in you. Thank you for the life that so many in this place have in you today. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you anytime, even especially in a crisis. And Lord, now in our country and in this world, there is a crisis. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would bring healing to this land. We pray on this National Day of Prayer for our country, for the United States of America. We pray for wisdom. We pray for continued protection. We pray for healing for those who have been infected by this virus. And we pray for protection for those who have not been infected, that they might not be infected at any point down the road. Lord God, I pray that this country today will see this crisis as a wake-up call to return to you in repentance, that you might heal our land. So please, Lord Jesus, heal our land. Turn the people of this land back to you. That the people of this land might recognize that you are the one true God. The one truth through Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for your peace over our land. That there would not be fear. That there would not be anxiety over this crisis. But there would be calm. I pray for peace among our elected officials. I pray for harmony in Jackson and harmony in Meridian, harmony in Washington. I pray for peace, Lord, to rule over this land and for our nation to come together as never before. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we've had this opportunity to worship together. And as we go our separate ways, I pray that you would watch over us and keep us in your care, that we might be your disciples who live out the truth of God through your word. Father, bless this church and bless this community, bless this state, this nation, and bless this world. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.